Hello and welcome to edition number 1906 of the Whitney Talking News, which we are recording in the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney on Thursday the 16th of June 2022. I'm Bridget Walton and I edited this edition. Beside me at the recording controls we have Graham Diacon. This week we have items about diddly squat and salt cross. Our four readers are Valerie Palmer, Nigel James, Debbie Diacon and John Ashwell. And Valerie is going to read our first story, which is an account of a possible collision which didn't happen. Yes, the headline reads, Pilots report high risk near crash over intruder. Pilots reported a high risk near miss over Oxfordshire after their alarm system was triggered by a small aircraft. The pilot of a Grave Voyager aircraft, which is an RAF air-to-air refuelling tanker that also acts as air transport, was alarmed after spotting an unexpected aircraft when taking off from Bryce Norton RAF base on November the 9th last year, in details only recently revealed. The Voyager pilot reported their collision warning system was triggered by an intruder, another aircraft, a bulldog, travelling near them. The bulldog, which is a small two-seat aircraft, was spotted by the Voyager's safety pilot as the plane began to enter a cloud slightly to the northwest. There was no way to move out of the way if the flight paths were to converge, leading the pilots on board to fear a crash. The bulldog passed the plane 200 metres away. Meanwhile, in the control room, the Bryce Norton zone controller approved the bulldog's crossing from Farrington to Burford and made the necessary calls. A short moment later, as the bulldog approached the landing and takeoff zone, the controllers realised the Voyager had started climbing earlier than expected, meaning that the two aircraft would pass by close together. As the bulldog reported having eyes on the Voyager, it was expected to maintain distance from it, with the controllers from both the base and the tower reporting medium risk. A full summary of the incident has recently been published, dating to April 2022, with the Voyager pilot, bulldog pilot and controllers at Bryce Norton all disagreeing on how high the level risk had been. The Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association said in the report it was odd that the Voyager was cleared to climb through the Bulldog's cleared level without checking first that the Bulldog had eyes on the plane. It said information should have been provided to both parties. It was investigated by two occurrence investigators, an air traffic controller and an air systems operations manager determining the level of risk as Category C, despite the Voyager's pilot's concerns. This means it was thought that there was no actual risk of collision, or the risk of collision was avoided. Investigators determined that the reason the Voyager had considered the risk so high was because of the alarm from the TCAS warning system against traffic they weren't made aware of. The report stated that the bulldog pilot, calling visual with the Voyager, effectively removed any risk of collision, but that safety was degraded 
as the Voyager pilot was cleared to climb through an occupied level. Nigel's article is about a problem in the health service. And this one is headlined, One Sex Ward Rule Broken Many Times. A rule preventing patients of different sexes from sharing the same ward was breached hundreds of times in Oxfordshire hospitals over a six-month period, figures reveal. The Patients' Association said the violations are an affront to patients' dignity, adding that it is concerned over an increase in breaches nationally. Hospitals have been expected to eliminate mixed-sex wards except in justified situations, such as intensive care, since 2010. However, NHS England figures show that between October and March, Oxford University Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust recorded 228 breaches of mixed-sex accommodation rules. The single-sex rules apply to sleeping accommodation, which includes any area where patients are admitted on beds or trolleys, even if they do not stay overnight. The Patients Association Chief Executive Rachel Power said, The figures for March are of great concern. Mixed-sex wards are an affront to patient dignity. No patient wants to receive intimate personal care on a mixed-sex ward, and it's the sort of stress that doesn't promote recovery. She added that urgent government investigation into social care could help reduce the number of breaches by allowing more medically fit patients to be discharged. Sam Foster, Chief Nursing Officer at Oxford University Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust, said, We look after every patient individually, and part of this is balancing the safety risks of our patients being looked after in the right care environment. We always do what we can to provide the same-sex accommodation to patients, and there are rare occasions when we need to prioritise their clinical need because they are very unwell and need specialised care. This can happen in intensive care, specialist neurological or cardiac care. Debbie has a story about a successful event. Yes, the headline is Best Turnout Ever as Music Festival Makes a Comeback. Music lovers partied in their thousands with one of the best turnouts ever for Whitney Music Festival. The event, blessed with sunshine and back in person after two years, was headlined by the Inflatables on Friday and 90s hitmakers EMF on Saturday. It also showcased some of the best local talent the town has to offer, including the music charity Oxmat, which stands for Oxfordshire Music and Arts Trust, Stars of the Future. Chair Eric Marshall said, We're humbled by the support given to the festival this year, especially after such uncertainty about its future, together with the transition to a sustainable model to secure the festival in the long term. This new approach of charging at the door didn't put people off. In fact, we had one of the best turnouts ever. Mr Marshall gave huge thanks to Whitney Town Council, Hook Norton Brewery, who stepped in at the last minute, and all the volunteers. He said they don't have their names on the posters, but without their much-needed help, the festival wouldn't happen. He added, the weekend reflects on the good heart of people who can come together for the joy of music and really help us see we are all part of a beautiful, loving community. John is reading the first part of an item which covers planning, housing needs, the environment and climate change. 
And it's headed up, <coughs> no ruling for zero carbon homes in Garden Village. Concerns have been raised after a planning inspector did not make a zero carbon commitment among its requirements for a new Garden Village. Salt Cross Garden Village north of the A40 near Ensham is one of the first garden villages endorsed by the government in 2017 to help meet England's housing needs. In addition to to the 2,200 new homes, Grosvenor Developments has uh, applied to build also new primary and secondary schools, sports facilities, parks and allotments. There will also be a 27-hectare science business park. The 531-acre site is owned by the separate landowners, including Corpus Christi College, Oxford and Oxfordshire County Council. Last week, West Oxfordshire District Council said the planning inspector had approved most of the council's plans, including groundbreaking targets for biodiversity and for affordable housing. But... Councillor Carl Rylett, Cabinet Member for Planning and Sustainable Development, said he was, however, very disappointed that the requirements for the new homes to be built to net zero carbon standards was not approved. Sarah Couch of Sustainability Group Green Tea, in brackets transition Ensham area, said that climate change was a golden thread running through the the Area Action Plan, the document which sets out the framework for how the village should be developed through consultation with local communities. She quoted from WODC's Area Action Plan, Salt Cross will be known for its emphasis on the environment, quality and innovation and will tackle the challenges presented to climate change head-on, adopting a zero-carbon and natural capital capital-based approach, providing a model example of how to plan a new community for the 21st century in a logical, organic and sustainable way. The perfect setting for wildlife and people to flourish. Mrs Couch added, The inspector's letter said, We anticipate our conclusions will come as a disappointment, so he knows it's quite controversial. But to their credit... West Oxfordshire District Council did some really good work and we were encouraging and supportive of them. This development has been held up in international conferences as an exemplar and this would be a really bad precedence. This is really important as there are over 3,000 houses being built. Lots of people think they are in the wrong place but this is one of the government's first garden villages which were to be built to garden village principles, which include zero carbon and lots of other things. A lot of people thought it was greenwash, but West Oxfordshire really tried to make it not that. It is a huge missed opportunity, and we know how to do it right. Save energy, save money, using local green energy, and mitigate the climate crisis and inspire others to do the same. It's also much cheaper to bring the homes up to standard now than to have to do it later. Mr Rylett said the council tried its best to make it a net zero housing project, but the government needed to move faster. He said, The ambition to require net zero standards in the garden village was a very important part of the area action plan. 
something which the council tried its best to achieve and which had public backing in the consultations. The problem is that national policy has not moved fast enough to update policy and to help support councils tackle the climate change crisis. And I urge the government to move faster on this crucial issue. But he said, The council is absolutely committed to doing whatever it can to tackle the climate change emergency, and we will be looking at what other options are available to us to minimise any ongoing impact to the climate. He added, The National Inspector's response doesn't necessarily mean that the Garden Village will not have higher standards than those set at national level. I will leave no stone unturned in trying to find a solution to raise standards for new housing, both in the Garden Village and across the district. And he said the next steps forward will become clearer when the council receives the inspector's full justification for the decision. The Area Action Plan was submitted in February 2021 with the planning inspector holding public hearings. The council will now consult on the inspector's suggested changes. Views will be sought on these through a full public consultation anticipated to take place from July 2022 for six weeks. This is the uh, Whitney Gazette's editorial comment on this subject. Headed, just how green is the planned Salt Cross Garden Village? The garden towns announced by the government in 2017 will see the delivery of 14 new garden villages and three new garden towns, on top of seven already approved. The principle is that they should involve development that enhances the natural environment, providing a comprehensive green infrastructure, network and net biodiversity gains that uses zero carbon and energy positive technology to ensure climate resilience. If these standards are not upheld, then developers can simply say they can't build something sustainably or include additional green space as it's not viable. The West Oxfordshire District Council Area Action Plan has tried its best to keep zero carbon as a standard for housing at Salt Cross. But if the planning inspector's suggested changes are adopted, developers could easily knock these back. So is this going to be a garden village in in name but not in principle? The government claims it wants to empower local authorities to establish new communities to meet local housing needs. It says this would allow unwelcome and inappropriate development around existing communities to be firmly ruled out by the local authority. But lots of people think Salt Cross is in the wrong place. It has limited access to public transport and workplaces and will swamp the infrastructure of Ensham. They could be dismissed as NIMBYs, but who is to say what is good or bad input when you're talking about over 3,000 homes being built that will affect an area for years to come. The government says that the new villages should be walkable, crime-free, properly designed with zero-carbon construction, and include green space and communal areas. So why don't we do it? It comes down to money. House builders and construction firms aren't keen to build sustainable dwellings, as it costs more money. With consultations underway, it remains to be seen what to what extent sustainably principled will survive when this village is actually built. 
this article, the headline is Emma Takes Lead in New BBC Drama. An actor and model is looking destined for stardom after her major new BBC drama ad. Whitney-born Emma Appleton, 30, plays lead character Maggie in the show Everything I Know About Love. The programme is based on the best-selling memoir by journalist and Sunday Times columnist Dolly Alderton. It is a coming-of-age story which follows childhood friends Maggie and Birdie as they try to survive their 20s, bad dates, heartaches and humiliations. Miss Appleton grew up with a younger brother in Whitney. Her mother is a nurse for the NHS. Her father is an architect. A pupil at West Whitney Primary School and then Wood Green School, she began a modelling career as a teenager which progressed to acting. In an interview with the Sunday Times, Miss Appleton said she was an anxious child, quote-unquote, about everything. The world felt big and scary. It was very much always worst-case scenario is going to happen. Convinced of it, I'm so much better at coping with it now, but I had to completely restructure my natural way of thinking, which I've worked on in quite a lot of therapy. Miss Appleton moved to London to pursue modelling aged 18, but told the magazine at one point she got thinner and thinner and thinner because of stress. And I thought, oh, wow, if I'm losing weight, then I'm doing the right thing. It's so sad. She is now starring as Nancy Spungen, girlfriend of Sid Vicious in Danny Boyle's series Pistol, which is streaming on Disney+. Plus. She told the Sunday Times she absolutely devoured Miss Alderton's memoir, which won the National Book Award for Autobiography in 2018 and was shortlisted for the Non-Fiction Narrative Book of the Year in the British Book Awards in 2019. It feels like a part of you. It was a huge book for young women because no one had put down our experiences like that, she said. Asked if she ever internet dated, which features heavily in the show, she admits she did it briefly for a joke. I did it for about two weeks, but I didn't like it. The catalogue of people, she said. Everything I know about love is on BBC One and BBC iPlayer. Almost 50 guns are handed in to police in an amnesty. Nearly 50 guns were handed in in May. In total, 181 fire in, which included 48 guns. This was part A 29th, supported by England and Wales, coordinated by the National Ballistics Intelligence Service. Firearms and ammunition by contacting the police. Head of Fire Intendant Gavin Wong thanked everyone who handed in weapons in ignorance of their illegality and can end... Air Ambulance Needs Blood Donors Thames Valley Air Ambulance has revealed that crews give blood to more than one person a week in emergencies across the region. The service released the figures to coincide with World Blood Donor Day. In the last year, 65 patients have received 182 units of blood products. Since the charity became an independent healthcare provider in 2018, it has given 484 units of blood products to 176 patients when they needed it most. That is more than 135 litres of blood given to people in life or death situations. 
Seeing the difference donated blood can make to patients whose life hangs in the balance inspires many Thames Valley Air Ambulance paramedics and doctors to become donors themselves. Neil Plant, Clinical Shift Manager at Thames Valley Air Ambulance and a regular blood donor, said, When somebody is seriously ill or injured, they need the best possible care there and then. Not only do we bring advanced equipment, drugs and expertise to the scene, but our helicopter and critical care response vehicles carry units of red blood cells and plasma, which supports frontline treatment of major blood loss. We deliver hospital-level care wherever and whenever it is needed. When every minute matters, having blood on board could make all the difference. Thames Valley Air Ambulance receives no government or national lottery funding. The editor thinks parts of this article may have been delayed from the 1st of April and is our regular contribution regarding Jeremy Clarkson. It's headed, Star Protecting Village but Would Like Dam to Burst. Jeremy Clarkson has said despite his plans to build a dam to protect Chadlington Village, he would not mind if the homes of the Red Trouser Brigade were flooded. It comes after villagers objected to his planning application to build a car park at the site which has been swamped with fans ever since his hit Amazon TV series Clarkson's Farm first aired in June 2021. He wanted to increase the number of parking spaces at his diddly squat farm from 10 to 70, but was refused permission last month. A plan for a new restaurant on the site was also rejected by West Oxfordshire District Council in January. Explaining how he was building dams to protect the village from flooding, he wrote, My thinking was simple. If I could hold the rainfall up here, high in the Cotswold Hills, it wouldn't cascade down into the local village and ruin everyone's red trousers. Later, he continued, Things aren't going very well with them at the moment. They complain that people visiting my farm shop were parking on the road, and when I applied for planning permission to solve the problem with a car park... They objected to that, and now the council has turned me down. In some ways, I quite like the dam to break so all their trousers get soggy. In his latest Sunday Times column, he said he knew when he applied to the Environment Agency for permission to build the dams, two things will happen. The red trouser people I'm trying to protect will object, and the clipboard people will find evidence of water voles or bats or newts. Plans to expand the car park were rejected last month by the council, which said that due to the car park's location, size and design, the proposed development would not be sustainable and would not be comparable or consistent in scale with the existing farming business or its open countryside location and would have visually intrusive and harmful impact on the rural character, scenic beauty and tranquillity of the Cotswold area of outstanding natural beauty. Mr Clarkson has referred to the not-terribly-bright people in planning departments in a discussion about making improvements to his Oxfordshire farm. In an interview with Talk TV's The News Desk, Mr Clarkson said, No is the council's answer to everything when it comes to his property. So now we have two short items. Community minibus aid. West Oxfordshire Community Transport, which operates minibus services serving estates in Whitney and Carterton and which link the Witchwoods to Whitney, has held a fundraising week. 
Chairwoman Margaret Burden said, We would not be able to operate without a number of grants from town and parish councils and the county council, as well as donations from other organisations and our passengers. As well as collecting tins on the buses, there was a stall outside Waterstones in Whitney. And the second article is entitled Public Aid Police Arrest. Police have thanked the public for helping to arrest a man who assaulted three police officers as they battled to restrain him in Whitney. A 40-year-old man from Whitney was being arrested for domestic assault on Saturday night. He was also arrested for allegedly committing a public order offence and possession of cannabis. Officers were eventually able to detain him and he was taken into custody awaiting interview. Thames Valley Police said we would like to thank a member of the public who came to help the officers in Whitney who had been assaulted. The following deaths were announced in this week's Whitney Gazette. On the 28th of May, Roy Bull, aged 80. On the 4th of June, Audrey Elsie Bradley, aged 83. On the 5th of June, William Charles Davis, known as Bill, aged 91 who is late of the West Oxon Sailing Club and ex-Southern Electricity Board. We offer our condolences to family and friends. Tonight we're very pleased to welcome Hilary Ewing, who is going to give our reflection. For a number of years I lived in Skipton, North Yorkshire, and my work as a minister took me to some beautiful towns and villages in the surrounding area. One day, as I was driving home, I spotted a new addition to an official sign. Underneath the town name for Grassington, someone had written, Twinned with Heaven. Maybe the writer was of the opinion of many that Yorkshire is God's own country, although as a half-Scot, I would want to say that Yorkshire has some very stiff competition. In one of our congregations, we had an honorary and much-loved member, Ida. She was an impeccably behaved black Labrador with a lovely, gentle temperament and was a guide dog and faithful companion to a person who lived alone and was registered blind. Her owner was also a preacher, and she and Ida would often be part of a group who would accompany me to help with taking services in care homes. On one occasion, we were about to begin when one of the residents asked us to wait a few minutes while she fetched something from her room. She returned with a very attractive and quite large, lifelike toy dog. Ida's tail wagged immediately and she went over to investigate, but of course received no response at all. The toy dog looked the part but was unable to deliver. I'm sure that many of us, if not all of us, have had at least one experience of finding that something which appeared to be good and in which we had hoped turned out to be a disappointment. And lots of people, perhaps some of you listening to this, have trusted someone in a business or close relationship and been badly let down. Times have been difficult for everyone in the past two years or so, and now there are increased worries about rising prices for essential commodities, 
and worries about war and suffering in Ukraine and in other countries. We may also feel anxious about the future or concerned for family or friends. Sometimes it can all seem quite exhausting and even overwhelming. But back to that care home service, and by the end, Ida had got over her disappointment. This was partly, I'm sure, because during the tea and coffee afterwards, she was allowed a rare treat of a biscuit. But it was mainly because she had been reassured by her owner, whom she trusted implicitly. So she happily allowed herself to be harnessed up again, and off they went on the next steps of sharing life together. In chapter 11 and verses 28 to 29 of Matthew's Gospel, we read that Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Thank you very much, Hilary. Now, these are the quiz questions and answers from the previous edition. One, which famous actress, born on the third, June the 3rd, was once married to baseball legend Joe DiMaggio? And the answer was Marilyn Monroe. On June the 4th, 1944, which famous and ancient European city was liberated by the US Fifth Army? The answer is Rome. D-Day took place on June the 6th, but can you name the five beaches on which the Allied armies landed? They were Utah, Gold, Gold, Utah, Omaha, Gold, Juno and Sword. Well done, you. On June the 6th, the Russians sent the first woman into space. What was her name? Valentina Tereshkova. On June the 25th, 1876, the U.S. Cavalry decisively lost the Battle of the Little Bighorn against the Sioux tribe. What was the name of the American commander? General George Armstrong Custer. And now we have this week's quiz. Question one. 70% of English is derived from Latin... What is the origin of most of the rest? Is it A, Greek, B, Anglo-Saxon, or C, Gaelic? Question two. Which invading people left their mark with place names containing, for example, Thwaite, a clearing in a wood, or and Keld, a well? In which part of England are these words most found? Three. With which English county are the prefixes tre, pol, and pen associated? Question four, what does the ending Chester or Custer or similar on a place name tell us? Question five, why are there so many River Avons? And we'll get the answers to these next week. And we have some birthdays to remember. We may be a little late wishing Mrs Sarah Gray a happy birthday, which is on the 17th, but we hope you had a lovely day, Mrs Gray. But we are in time to wish happy birthday to Mrs Judith Humphreys and Mrs Gillian Jenkins, whose birthdays are on the 19th and 21st, respectively. 
I was quite excited when I saw a page of events in the Whitney Gazette, but when I looked through them, there was really only one which might have a little bit of interest to us here in West Oxfordshire. And that's the Burford Singers Summer Concert on Sunday the 19th of June at 7.30 in St John's Church in Burford. Tickets cost £8 to £20 and the singers will be doing choral favourites. And if you want to know more about it, the email address, all single case, no gaps, is burfordsingingtickets at gmail.com. And I'll now go on to my article, which is about aspen trees. Chosen as a topic after thinking about words and names, and that drew me to Geoffrey Gigson's The Englishman's Flora, which gives the local names for wild plants. And therein, it led me to the Salix family of poplars and willows. Of the ten species he writes about, I have chosen Populus tremula. The species name, tremula, describes the trembling of the leaves. And Grigson gives quaking ash, shaking asp, and old wives' tongues as some of the country names for the tree. The noise the leaves make was likened to the clacking of women gossiping, thus the name old wives' tongues. Legends arose to account for the restless movement of the leaves of the aspen tree. One story says the tree was cursed because it held up its head while others bowed during Christ's journey to Calvary. Another claims the cross itself was made of aspen wood. In Brittany, the legend is that the aspen not only refused to bow, but declared it was free of sin and had no cause to tremble and weep, whereupon it immediately began to tremble and will go on trembling till the last day. In Russia, it was known as the tree on which Judas hanged himself. Grigson writes, If the timber had been tougher, harder, more durable and more valuable, perhaps the legends would have been different. Certainly the legends make it sound a miserable thing. Notwithstanding all that negativity, two lovely poems have been inspired by the loss of aspens or poplars. Best known, certainly around Oxford, is Binsey Poplars by Gerard Manley Copkins mourning the loss of trees cut down in 1879. My aspens dear, whose airy cages quelled, quelled or quenched in leaves the leaping sun, all felled, felled, all are felled. Of a fresh and following folded rank, not spared, not one that dandled a sandaled shadow that swam or sank on meadow and river and wind-wandering weed-winding bank. Oh, if we but knew what we do when we delve or hew, hack and rack the growing green, since country so tender to touch her being so slender that like this sleek and seeing ball, but a prick will make no eye at all. Where we, even where we mean to mend her, we end her, when we hew or delve. 
after-comers cannot guess the beauty been. Ten or twelve, only ten or twelve, strokes of havoc unselve the sweet especial scene. Rural scene, a rural scene, sweet especial rural scene. And Debbie is going to end this article with a poem written about a hundred years earlier by William Cooper. It's called Null. The poplars are felled. Farewell to the shade and the whispering sound of a cool colonnade. The winds play no longer and sing in the leaves, nor ooze on his bosom their image receives. Twelve years have elapsed since I last took a view of my favourite field and the bank where they grew. And now in the grass, behold, they are laid, and the tree is my seat that once lent me a shade. The blackbird has fled to another retreat where the hazels afford him a screen from the heat and the scene where his melody charmed me before resounds with his sweet flowing ditty no more. My fugitive years are all hasting away and I must ere long lie as lowly as they with a turf on my breast and a stone at my head ere another such grove shall arise in its stead. Tis a sight to engage me, if anything can, to muse on the perishing pleasures of man. Though his life be a dream, his enjoyments, I see, have a being less durable even than he. And now we uh, move on to sport. There is cricket being played in West Oxfordshire, but it is not being reported in the Whitney Gazette. So we have two football items, one abbreviated to little more than a headline. (laughs) And it's headed up Wing, that's W-H-I-N-G, which is the gentleman's surname, Wing hoping to hang on to stars. Andy Wing hopes a tiring few weeks will begin to bear fruit as Banbury United's squad for next season takes shape. The Puritans' manager and his staff have been holding contract talks with players ahead of the club's first campaign in the Vanamara National League. Banbury agreed deals on a season-by-season basis, so there have been a lot of negotiations to get through since the last term ended in April. Wing expects the club to start announcing contract news in the coming days. And a second short piece on the subject of sport. Elliot hailed as one of the best as he exits City. Elliot Benyon, who leaves Oxford City this summer. The experienced striker is set to depart when his contract expires, ending a near three-year spell at Court Place Farm. Benyon, 34, scored five goals last season including a wonder strike from halfway against Slough Town on Boxing Day and the opener in City's Vanamara National League South playoff eliminator win over Eastbourne Borough. Co-owner and director of football Justin Merritt told the club's official website Elliot has been amazing for the club ever since he joined and one of the best signings we've ever made. On the pitch he's been brilliant, but off the pitch he's also been an even better person. We thank him for everything he has given us 
I wish him the very best of luck for the future. Now another sport article, but this time about cycling. And it's headed, Cyclists zoom past as tour heads for thrilling finale. Flags and bunting left over from the Jubilee weekend added to the celebrations when one of the country's most prestigious cycling races set off from Chipping Norton. About 100 professional cyclists, accompanied by support vehicles, arrived in the town to warm up and prepare ahead of the race start at 11am last Saturday. Chippy residents and cycle enthusiasts were able to get up close to the professional teams before they lined up for the start and set off on a race through Charlbury, Burford and Carterton, cheered on by fans on roadsides and at hill climbs, including Burford High Street and sprint sections. The cyclists then headed to Abingdon before their final sprint for the line in Oxford. Stage 6 was the final 142.9km stage of the women's tour, which is Britain's longest-running professional women's race and part of the prestigious UCI Women's World Tour Series. After the start, Chipping Norton Town Council and volunteers continued to celebrate with cycling activities, including a tricky trail for people to practice their bike skills, a beginner's guided ride led by Windrush Bike Project, and local business TY Cycles provided a range of bikes for people to try out, including e-bikes. There were also guided rides for women and an off-road ride to Charlbury and Longhambra. Although Lorena Weebs of Team DSM claimed victory with a time of 3 hours 38 minutes 15 seconds, Elisa Longo-Borghini overhauled Grace Brown and won the race by a second. Miss Borghini won the entire tour with an overall time of 19 hours, 19 minutes and 7 seconds. And staying with bicycles for our next article, but not racing this time. This one's headed, Second-hand bikes wanted for use by refugee children. Whitney Fire Station has held a bike donation day at which old or unwanted bicycles can be refurbished and used by Sanctuary Wheels, Sanctuary Wheels is a project in partnership with Asylum Welcome, Oxford City Council, Cyclox, Oxfordshire Fire and Rescue and Tracks. It will provide cycles to young unaccompanied refugees in Oxford to give them uh, an opportunity to explore their new surroundings and to take part in positive healthy activity together. In February, more than 50 bikes were donated at an event at Ruley Road Fire Station. These bikes will now be refurbished by tracks and through Asylum Welcome, children will receive their bike along with a helmet, locks and lights and bikeability tuition from Oxfordshire Fire and Rescue. Bikes must be in reasonable condition, suitable for a teenager or young adult, but will be refurbished and safety checked. This article is entitled Holding Back the Years as Simply Red Top the Palace Bill. Nocturne Festival has arrived with headliners Simply Red plus special guests the brand new heavies playing the first of five nights of music at Blenheim Palace. They join David Gray, UB40 and Simple Minds to complete the lineup. 
Blenheim Palace's Nocturne Live Festival has attracted world-class musicians to the great courtyard over the years, including Elton John and Jamie Cullum. After Simply Red, the festival continues with David Gray performing White Ladder in its entirety, plus his greatest hits, with support from very special guests James Morrison and Narina Pallett. On Friday, June 17th, top of the bill is UB40, featuring Ali Campbell with Maxi Priest, Aswad and Cleveland Watkiss. Ali Campbell and UB40 made the decision to go ahead with their performance, despite the death of longtime band member Astro from a short illness in November 2021. The festival will close on Saturday with headline act Simple Minds celebrating 40 years of hits, Deacon Blue and Caesar. Now we have an article headed up, Getting into Character to Mark 125 Years of Helping. And it is actually written by Hannah Wiltshire, who is the Assistant Manager of Blue Cross in Burford. This year, Blue Cross is celebrating 125 years of helping sick, injured and homeless animals. Originally known as our Dumb Friends League, Blue Cross was formed in 1897 to help the working horses of London, who were often underfed, struggled to carry heavy loads and became injured or slippery on slippery asphalt roads created for the new motor vehicles. Fast forward to today... And the character, sorry, the charity continues to support pets and people through its veterinary rehoming, its pet behaviour, education, and pet bereavement services. Since its formation, the, the charity estimates that it has positively impacted a staggering 38 million lives, and its plans to help more than 120,000 pets over the next three years through its services. As part of our celebrations, we have teamed up with three animal-loving celebrities, comedian Bill Bailey, actor and TV presenter David Harewood, and Paralympian Lauren Stedman and her rescue dog Kira, to recreate images from our historic archive. The stars stepped back in time to recreate three images from the archive, dating all the way back to the First World War and the Second World War. And the stars posed as David Harewood takes on a pose as a soldier with a dog. And the dog's got uh, its forepaws on his shoulder and is really looking him in the eyes. Bill Bailey, dressed as a pearly king, is standing with a, a big horse in front of a horse ambulance. And it says the horse is bearing a, a cover which says I was saved from slaughter by Blue Cross and then Lauren Stedman has posed as a nurse echoing the uh, first one of the first posters for the Blue Cross fund for wounded war, World War I dogs where she is shown with a dog wearing the Red Cross and she is wearing the Blue Cross on her arm. Bill Bailey said, It was great fun being a pearly king for a day and a fitting way to acknowledge the heritage of the Blue Cross and to highlight their wonderful support for horses and other animals that has continued to this day. 
Congratulations, Blue Cross, on reaching your 125 milestone. And heartfelt thank you for all that you do for both pets and people. And Hannah continues, My team here at Burford loved watching the photos come to life here on site. We're so proud of the charity's heritage and how every day we're helping animals. Only last week we waved off more pets to their new homes and also took in a number of new pets, including a cat whose owner was moving and couldn't take the pet with them. We're here to help, so if your circumstances change and you can no longer care for your pet, do get in touch and we can help you find a new home for the animal. This article is entitled Mock Mayor Ceremony Brings Back Mayhem. The Old Woodstock Mock Mayor event is this year raising funds for the Silver Star Special Baby Care Ward at the JR and two Woodstock lunch clubs for the elderly. The event on July 16th offers great food and drinks, two live bands, DJs, samba dancers, senior and junior mock mayor elections, a tug of war, a procession and mayor dunking and the return of a highly successful mock court. Residents can accuse friends and family of a heinous crime like never doing the washing up and the mock judge and prosecutor will call them to court, interrogate them and if guilty, sentence them. The mock mayor is a statement of old Woodstock's independence and represents mockery and good-natured opposition to lawful authority. It builds on the centuries-old tradition of Woodstock having its own court. Ed Creasy, chair of the old Woodstock mock mayor, said, This year's event will have the usual mayhem and we are delighted to go back to our tradition of free entry for everyone we will politely request a voluntary donation on the gate. Well, that's all we have time for. Please remove the memory stick from the playback unit and close the metal shield. Remember to reverse the plastic address label on the yellow pouch before posting it back to us. Please do so as soon as possible, as we sometimes run out of labels and pouches and are then unable to continue our service to you. Remember, if you wish to contact us, just leave a slip of paper in your pouch and we will telephone you. It only remains for me to thank the Whitney Gazette for the stories we have used. Thanks also to our technical expert, Graham Diacon, who arranged that Blackbird song for us, and our copiers, Ian Rose and Mike Herbert, who are copying the memory sticks. And to our admin team, who have been checking the pouches and memory sticks you have returned and keeping records of this in our register. And they were Jill Breakspear and Anne Crawford. And finally, our four readers, Valerie, Nigel, Debbie and John. I know everyone would like to say goodbye. And so until our next edition, goodbye. goodbye. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Now for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights, starting with Saturday, June 18th. In the first of three parts of rumblings from the rafters at 12 noon on Radio 4 Extra, Bill Patterson and Alison Steadman star in Lynn Truss's play in which insects discuss life in an attic. 
On Radio 4 at 3, there's a dramatisation of Virginia Woolf's funny, provoking and insightful text on female creativity, A Room of One's Own. In 1928, a woman is asked to talk of women and writing. She reflects on the difficulties that face the female writer and proposes a different kind of life. Recorded in lockdown with actors and production team, all in rooms of their own. The opera on Radio 3 at 6.30 is Janacek's The Cunning Little Vixen, English National Opera's new production, recorded in February at the Coliseum in London. At 9, Radio 2 marks the 80th birthday of Paul McCartney, with sounds of Paul McCartney, a pick of music, newsreels and radio clippings charting the arc of his phenomenal career. And lastly for Saturday, 11.30pm, Radio 4, in the last of the current series of Poetry Please, poetry from Walt Whitman, T.S. Eliot, Caroline Bird and K.O. Chingongi features in this week's selection of listener requests. On to Sunday, June 19th, at 6.35am, for those early risers, on Radio 4, Natural Histories looks at beetles, which form part of the largest insect group with around 400,000 species and make up roughly a quarter of all animal life on the planet. 11.15 on Radio 4, the castaway on Desert Island Discs is the actor Rita Tushingham. To Radio 4 Extra at 1 to hear Tina Brown reading from the Vanity Fair diaries, her account of her time as editor-in-chief of the magazine Vanity Fair. While back to Radio 4 at 3, The Machine Stops, a dramatisation of Ian Forster's dystopian tale of humanity becoming isolated from each other and completely reliant on technology. And we round off the weekend on Radio 3 at 5 o'clock. The Listening Service celebrates the male singers hitting the high notes. Countertenor Lauren Zazzo provides an insider's view. On to the programmes then that are broadcast at the same time every day, Monday to Friday. Same radio station, same time, every day. Radio 4 Extra at 6am and repeated at 1 and 8 June Whitfield is Agatha Christie's Miss Marple in the story at Bertram's Hotel. At 9.45am on Radio 4, Book of the Week is the escape artist. Jonathan Friedland reads from his new book about Rudolf Verber, a young man who escaped from Auschwitz and made it his mission to expose the chilling reality of the Holocaust. Radio 3 at 12 noon, composer of the week is Tommy Louis de Victoria, 1548 to 1611. While on Radio 4, each day, all week, at 1.45, The People vs. J. Edgar Hoover continues until Thursday. 2 o'clock on Radio 4, extra every day, in a programme from 2001, Betty Boothroyd reads excerpts from her autobiography, detailing life as the first female speaker of the House of Commons. At 2.15 every day, still on Radio 4 Extra, Dombey and Son by Charles Dickens. While on Radio 4 at 2.15 until Thursday, you can hear the last four parts of the political drama, The Price of Oil. Radio 3 at 10.45 each night is the series The Essay, Moments of Being, celebrating the moments that shape, frame and colour our lives. While on Radio 4 at 10.45 the same time, Book at Bedtime, which continues the reading of The Stranding by Katie Sawyer. So let's run through some of the individual programmes 
for the rest of the week, starting with Monday, June 20th. The BBC World Service at five past nine in the morning, or repeated at five past eight in the evening, is the climate question, looking at the effectiveness of recycling in the fight against climate change. Radio 4 at 3, a return of the quiz show The Third Degree, in which undergraduates from University College London compete against their professors. At the same time on 3 on Radio 4 Extra is Box of Chocolates, Prunella Scales, is Christopher Reason's monologue in which a woman is prompted to show her soft side when she receives a box of chocolates from her estranged aunt. And as it's Monday at 6.30 on Radio 4, the popular panel comedy game show, Just a Minute, continues, hosted by Sue Perkins. Tuesday, June 21st, starts with The Life Scientific at 9am on Radio 4, presented, as usual, by Jim Al-Khalili. On Radio 4 Extra at 5, an episode of Airs on the Air, with verses, sketches and songs from Pam Airs. On Radio 4 Extra at 9pm, Test Smash special, Ball by Ball, cricket enthusiast Rory Bremner looks back at the radio history of Test Match cricket. While on Radio 4 at 8.40, as it's a Tuesday, Peter White presents In Touch, with news for people who are blind or partially sighted. To Wednesday, June 22nd, and the BBC World Service at 5 past 9, and again at 5 past 8 in the evening, the Compass Walking the Iron Curtain, Balkan Healing. Running from the Arctic to the Black Sea, what was once the Iron Curtain, a harsh landscape of barbed wire fences, concrete blocks and deadly mines, is now at over 12,500 kilometres, the longest wildlife nature reserve in the world. 9.30am on Radio 4, Michael Mosley continues his series Just One Thing. This week, in an apple a day, he learns how eating more apples can benefit the heart, gut and brain and could reduce the risk of dying early by 35%. Radio 4 Extra at 10.45am, Eleanor Bron reads Nan Woodhouse's tale Rose, set in May 1835. A young girl's chance encounter with a poet touches her life forever. It's repeated at 3.45 in the afternoon. Well, also on Radio 4 Extra at 11am, the third part of Michael Palin's Radio Adventures. To Radio 3 at 4, Choral Evensong comes from the Chapel of Rugby School. While on Radio 4 in The Caretakers, artist Elaine Moody gathers the intimate thoughts of cleaners and conservation teams responsible for cultural treasures in Britain's museums and galleries. That's at 4 o'clock on Radio 4. While back to Radio 3 at 10pm, free thinking, Anne McElvoy and guests examine the writing of the German romantic Etta Hoffman, the author of horror and fantasy published stories that form the basis of Jacques Offenbach's opera The Tales of Hoffman and the ballets Coppelia and the Nutcracker. Thursday, June 23rd, Radio 4 at 9am, in our time, Melvin Bragg is joined by expert guests to discuss the temple complex of Angkor Wat in Cambodia. From 10.25 onwards on Radio 4 Longwave and Radio 5 Live Extra on Digital, you can hear Test Match Special, day one of the third test between England and New Zealand at Headingley. At three on Radio 4 in Open Country, Cornwall's Steam Heritage commemorates Richard Trevithick, inventor of the first steam-powered vehicle. Radio 4 at 4.30, BBC Inside Science highlights the latest scientific research and details how science is evolving to transform culture 
and affect lives. While on Radio 3 at 10 in Free Thinking, Late Works considers the work and performance of writers, artists, athletes and musicians near the end of their careers. Which brings us to the last day of the week, Friday, June 24th. At 8am, Radio 4 Extra, repeated at 12 or 7pm, the pilot episode of Dad's Army spin-off It Sticks Out Half a Mile, starring Arthur Lowe and John Le Mazurier, among others. Second day of the third test, of course, on Radio 4 and 5 Live Sports Extra throughout the day. At 1.45 on Radio 4 in Escapes, Anna Freeman talks to Brian Robson, who in 1962 was so desperate to return to the UK from Australia, he hatched a plan to mail himself home in a crate. He became the first person in history to fly for nearly five days in a box across the Pacific Ocean. An incredibly dangerous feat. Any questions is at 8 o'clock on Radio 4 with political debate and discussion from Shetland Museum and Archives. While at 9pm on Radio 4, Father's Day, examining the ever-changing image of the father, revealing how seismic historical events and cultural awakenings have redefined the area of fatherhood as a whole. That's it for another week. May I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable one of radio listening. Hello everybody, this is Val with my selection of audio-described TV programmes for the week commencing Saturday the 18th of June to Friday the 24th of June. So we start with Saturday the 18th of June. A new 10-part cookery series starts on ITV today at 11.35am. Jeremy Pang's Asian Kitchen. In this series, Pang travels the UK to find the best ingredients for his recipes. He's determined to teach the viewers that impressive Chinese food can be rustled up at home in less time than it takes to phone for a takeaway. This is followed at 12.35pm, also on ITV, by James Martin's French Adventure. The chef visits the lakeside town of Annecy. Three choices at 7pm tonight. Alan Carr's epic game show Celebrity Special is on ITV, in which he presents an updated version of Play Your Cards Right, featuring sporting icon Mo Farah, broadcaster Claire Balding, comedian Russell Kane and actor Jimmy Meastry, who all have to predict whether the next card will be a higher or lower one to be in with a chance of winning the jackpot for charity. The Great Garden Revolution is on Channel 4. The team head to a primary school near Blackpool, where teacher Karen is determined to get the pupils into gardening. A History of Ancient Britain is on BBC Four at 7pm. Neil Oliver examines the influence of Rome. He joins a dig beneath a London tower block, which has uncovered a row of Roman shops, discovers evidence of a chariot track in Colchester, and in York sees the remains of an African woman. The spy adventure Live and Let Die is on ITV at 8pm, marking the debut of Roger Moore as James Bond. Investigating the deaths of three British agents, Bond finds himself up against the mysterious Mr Big, 
a New York drug baron with plans for world domination. Over on BBC Four at 8pm, Michael Palin travels of a lifetime. Michael revisits his second travel series, Pole to Pole, first shown in 1992. Casualty is on BBC One at 8.40pm. The staff of Holby City's A&E department endure another busy shift treating sick and injured patients. Francesco's Mediterranean Voyage is on BBC Four at 10.50pm. Corfu and Greece. Francesco makes brisk passage into Greek waters until the black swan rips a mainsail and limps into Corfu, where he sees the relics of British rule with a game of cricket and a walk in Gerald Durrell's footsteps. And now on to Sunday the 19th of June. Midsummer Murders is on ITV at 3pm. The Ballad of Midsummer County. When the organiser of Little Crosby Folk Festival is found dead, it seems the murder may have been inspired by a ballad made famous by a late lamented singer. In Best of Britain by the Sea at 4.55pm on Channel 4, Ainsley Harriet and Grace Dent explore the coast of Aberdeenshire, where they learn about the legacy of the Scottish fishing industry. Another Bond film on ITV at 5pm, The Man with the Golden Gun. Bond goes in search of a solar energy device stolen by professional killer Scaramanga, a hitman who carries out assassinations with a golden gun. Inside the Superbrands on Channel 4 at 7pm goes behind the scenes at the UK's biggest ice cream manufacturer, Walls, to find out how products such as Cornetto, Vionetta and Twister are made. There are several choices at 8pm tonight. The second part of the £15 billion railway inside the Elizabeth Line is on BBC Two. The railway's largest evacuation trial, involving 900 volunteers, must be coordinated before the Queen officially opens the line. A new series of the crime drama Macdonald and Dodds starts on ITV at 8. In tonight's episode, when a young woman dies in a busy park in broad daylight, the process of identifying her leads DS Dodds to confront secrets in his own past. Over on Channel 4 at 8pm, the documentary Tutankhamun Secrets of the Tomb Paleoanthropologist Ella Al Sharmahai unravels the scientific truth behind the legend of the Pharaoh's curse and the press sensation that surrounded it for decades. The comedy drama Outlaws continues on BBC One at 9pm. The gang's illicit business begins to run like a well-oiled machine. When Gabby engages in some spirited activism of her own, Myrna uses her talent for community engagement. We end today's choices with the Radio Times pick of the day. A new eight-part psychological crime thriller, Suspect, starring James Nesbitt, starts on Channel 4 at 9pm. 
When seasoned detective Danny Freighter turns up at a hospital mortuary for what he thinks is a routine ID check, he gets a devastating shock. Part 2 follows at 9.30 and the series continues with a double bill at 9 o'clock each evening from Monday to Wednesday. Now for those daytime programmes on BBC One, which are on at the same time throughout the week. From Monday to Friday, Homes Under the Hammer is at 11.15am, Bargain Hunt is at 12.15pm and Escape to the Country is at 3pm. From Monday to Thursday, Doctors is at 1.45pm. So now we go to Monday the 20th of June. Great American Railroad Journeys is on BBC Four at 7pm. Michael Portillo seeks out a historic company that counts US presidents among its customers and visits the childhood summer home of dramatist Eugene O'Neill. The Radio Times pick of the day is a new documentary series on BBC Two at 8pm. Back in time for Birmingham. This series gives the Sharma family the chance to experience more than half a century of life as it was for Asian families in Birmingham. The series continues at the same time each night, Tuesday to Thursday. In Extraordinary Portraits at 8.30pm on BBC One, portrait photographer Bella Kotak goes to Newquay in Cornwall to create a portrait of adaptive surfer Charlotte Banfield, who has cerebral palsy and autism. Several choices at nine o'clock tonight. The BBC One drama Sherwood continues. DCS Ian Sinclair briefs the press on the search for the murder suspect. Then he and DI Kevin Salisbury are called to the scene of a second murder. Long Lost Family is on ITV at 9pm. Jocelyn Taylor has been searching for her brother James for decades, desperate to know if their mother gave her up for adoption because she was born profoundly deaf. In turn, James has been searching for the father he never knew, and after 73 years, is about to find more family than he expected. On Law 4 at 9pm, a new series of River Cottage Reunited. Hugh Fernley Whittingstall returns with more Grow Your Own Ideas. Parts 3 and 4 of the drama Suspect are on Channel 4 at 9pm. And on BBC 4 at 9, Queen Victoria's Letters, A Monarch Unveiled. Biographer A.N. Wilson examines the first half of Queen Victoria's life through personal journals and unpublished letters. Tuesday the 21st of June. Michael Portillo continues his journey in Great American Railroad Journeys on BBC Four at 7pm. Cooking with the Stars is on ITV at 8pm. This week, the competition turns spicy as the remaining celebrities get to grips with the cuisine of India. Still on the cookery theme, Bake Off the Professionals is on Channel 4 at 8. 
the five best teams from last week return for two even tougher tasks. Over on Channel 5 at 8 in the Yorkshire Vet, Julian treats a puppy that has eaten a kitchen sponge and Peter has to deal with the most overgrown tortoise beak he has ever seen. Back in Time for Birmingham continues on BBC Two at 8pm. Three choices at nine o'clock. Sherwood continues on BBC One. With two killers now on the run, Ian calls in the Met to support the manhunt. A repeat episode of Doc Martin is on ITV. Louisa has planned a special evening to celebrate Martin's birthday, but things don't go to plan because of Al's surprise engagement party for Moena. Ruth is concerned that she's becoming forgetful. And Suspect continues on Channel 4 at 9pm. Now on to Wednesday the 22nd of June. Today's first choice is the film A Walk in the Woods on Film 4 at 6.55pm. Bill Bryson's Appalachian Trek comes alive here thanks to the hilarious pairing of Robert Redford and Nick Nolte. Earth's Natural Wonders, Surviving the Extreme is on BBC Four at 7pm. Members of Inuit communities in the Canadian Arctic take part in the hazardous mussel harvest, while people in Siberia search for mammoth tusks. In tonight's repair shop at 8pm on BBC One, items brought in for repair include a telescope, a beekeeping kit and a 1950s radio. Lewis is on ITV3 at 8pm. When Stephen Mullen is found badly scalded and drowned in his bath, Lewis and Hathaway are called in to investigate. And Back in Time for Birmingham continues on BBC Two at 8pm. Lots of choices at 9pm. The Great British Sewing Bee is on BBC One. The four semi-finalists return to the sewing room to celebrate the influences of Japanese design and sewing. Lenny Henry's Caribbean Britain is a two-part documentary on BBC Two. The actor and comedian celebrates his heritage, examining what it means to be both Caribbean and British today. The documentary series The Savoy continues on ITV. There is an atmosphere of anxiety in the air as the staff are told that a hotel inspector is paying the place an incognito visit to decide whether the Savoy can retain its five stars. A new documentary series starts on Moor Fall. Island, coast and country. The Emerald Isle as seen through the eyes of those who call it home. And on Channel 4 at 9pm, we have the two final episodes of the psychological thriller Suspect. Now on to Thursday the 23rd of June. Earth's Natural Wonders, Surviving with Animals is on BBC Four at 7pm, exploring the lives of humans and animals that inhabit the world's most extraordinary places. In Eat Well for Less on BBC One at 8pm, can the parents of a family in Manchester 
be persuaded to start cooking one meal that the whole family will enjoy. Vera is on ITV3 at 8pm. The body of a young man who was killed by a blow to the head is found wrapped in plastic sheeting in an area notorious for illicit teenage gatherings. The final episode of Back in Time for Birmingham is on BBC Two at 8pm. Again, several choices at 9pm. The Radio Times pick of the day is Who Do You Think You Are on BBC One, which this week sees the actor Anna Maxwell Martin delving into her family history. Million Pound Porn is on ITV at 9 in Sheffield, Dan visits a retired couple who are looking to sell an 18th century railway carriage they have restored. But will the price tag of more than £2 million stop the deal in its tracks? On Channel 4 at 9, Taskmaster, Champion of Champions, a special edition of the comedy game show in which victors from series 6 to 10 return in a battle to become the second champion of champions. A new series of the crime drama Coroner starts on more 4 at 9pm. Investigating a devastating fire in a low-income apartment complex, Jenny develops a bond with a woman who has lost everything. And finally we come to Friday the 24th of June. On BBC One at 7.30pm, as part of the Our Lives series, Sarah the Lumberjill. We follow Sarah Yeeman, the fourth generation of her family, to take up the saw, working across the forests of the central highlands of Scotland with Father Ralph and Brother Ralphie in the wake of some of the worst storms to hit Scotland in decades. A new quiz show starts at 8pm tonight on Channel 4, hosted by Claudia Winkleman. Pairs of contestants must answer just one question correctly to win £100,000, and that question comes with 20 possible answers, but only one is correct. In This Is My House on BBC One at 8pm, along with the actual owner, three imposters will be trying to persuade this week's panel that they are in fact the owner of the property. Father Brown is on the drama channel at 8pm. A body is identified as that of a woman who went missing seven years earlier. The drama Sanditon, based on the unfinished novel by Jane Austen, continues on ITV at 9pm. Charlotte and Sydney clash again, only for Charlotte to be left confused by a chance encounter. Let's finish this week's selection with the sitcom Avoidance on BBC One at 9pm. Jonathan and Spencer are still at Danielle's and tension levels are rising, especially Courtney's. The Radio Times describes this as the best episode yet. So I do hope you find some programmes from my selection that might appeal to you. DNF Soundings